1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. All right, good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the science advisor Matt Moniz because uh, the silent assassin is out in the snow. So we told him that uh, he doesn't have to come in if he doesn't want to. Well, it's up to him. Yeah. The door is open, so he may co- he may pop in sometime during the show, and of course, he's always welcome to call. Oh, I just saw his truck pull up. Awesome. So we're going to be doing some uh, seat reconfiguration here in just a second, <laughs> but uh, we do have a great show. We're so happy to be back on the air after missing for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, first, we have the holiday break. Then we had the NFL football break. So now we are back here broadcasting live on WBSM and also broadcasting on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, so you can see the actual video feed of what goes on in our studio during the course of the show, and let me tell you, it's it's a it's a sight to be seen. So uh, turn up your radio, check us out on the internet, and that's where the chat room is as well. If you want to interact with everybody there and ask questions, you can do that there. You can also call us anytime during the program at five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred or one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Are you impressed that I could remember those numbers after all these weeks off the air? Very. I was going over them in the shower uh-huh. earlier tonight. So. And uh, we have a great show planned for you tonight because our guest tonight is Tom Fusco. And Tom sent me an email uh, uh, a few weeks back. And in the email, he said that he has a new theory of the paranormal. And that definitely got my ears to perk up. Uh, well, actually, my eyes because it was an email. Mm. But it, uh, it actually got my attention perked up. The name of his book is Behind the Cosmic Veil, A New Vision of Reality Merging Science, the Spiritual, and the Supernatural. Now, many have tried in the past to merge all of those together. And I don't want to say that many have failed, but many have fallen, fallen short of the expectation of being able to bridge all of these things together. And I think Tom has a very interesting and unique approach in which he's able to do that. So we're going to talk to him about all that. We also have some news coming up about legend trips. What's legend trips? Heck, while you guys were celebrating the holidays and listening to NFL football, Spooky South Coast and Ghost Village started our own company. We started Legend Trips, which is our new name for the same events that we've been doing for all this time. And we have our latest one that we announced a few weeks ago, but this will be the first time we talk about it on the air. We'll bring that up a little bit later on. And let me just tell you, it's a prominent local haunt, a place that's been investigated for television programs and uh, has been featured on the Travel Channel and on Ghost Hunters. So you're going to want to get involved in this event. It's going to be a great event with some great guests. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. So uh, what we're going to do is because we're going to bring in Matt Costa and we're going to basically reshuffle the studio. Uh, We will take a break in just a second so that we can do all that before we get into things with Tom because this is going to be one of those discussions where I want everybody out there that's a paranormal investigator uh, and who has been doing this for a number of years and has what they believe to be their belief system in place, I want you to really tune in and really open your ears and pay attention to what Tom's going to be talking about and see how you can uh, maybe debate him a little bit about some of these things and maybe incorporate some of what he's been saying. You you want to stay over there, Matt? Because I was going to take a break and have us switch around. That's That's four, right? Try it now. How about now? now? I think it's on now. There we go. Here we go. Hey, not my problem. (laughs) All right. So (laughs) it's so weird to have you sit here. It is weird. It's so weird. Especially since I'm pretty sure I'm doing everything wrong over here. So if you want to stay over there, we can get right right into the show. I'll observe. All right. Well, what we'll do is uh, we'll jump right into the conversation then. Trust me, folks. Normally, we're much more professional than this, but oh, 
four weeks off the air. Why do you have to lie? Yeah, we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> well, I don't know if you, if anybody out there subscribes to the Spooky South Coast newsletter. Uh, you got today's newsletter in which uh, the the report was that we had been kicked off the air by the FCC, mm-hmm. and they they told us that uh, we, we were just too good. The, oh. the FCC said this show can't exist because it's just too good, and, and our argument back was, but no, we're not. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully we can live up to all that and more. It's right. a good argument. It is. Why don't we get right into the discussion then with tonight's guest, Tom Fusco. The name of the book is Behind the Cosmic Veil, and his website is CosmicVeil.com. It's linked up right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com as well. Thomas P. Fusco has devoted nearly three decades of research into the relationship between mind, physics, spirituality, parapsychology, scientific anomalies, and paranormal phenomena with the goal of uncovering the unifying cosmological framework that has eluded mankind for generations. So that sounds to me like a quite... Quite a heady mission statement for yourself, Tom, <laughs> to be able to try and bring all that together. But with this book, Behind the Cosmic Veil, it seems like you've been able to do that. It wasn't something that you were going to do over tea one afternoon. <laughs> Believe me, we've tried. <laughs> now, when, when you first contacted me and you said you had this new theory of the paranormal, uh, I've got to tell you that a little bit inside of me said, you know, I've heard this dozens of times now. I've heard... Lots of people come at me and say that they have a new approach, something that people haven't considered in the past or, or maybe connections people haven't made in the past. But I'm always willing to listen and to see what they have to say. When I received the book and I started reading it and I started seeing where you were going with this, I said, wow, here's somebody that does have a unique and different approach. And it seems like it's something that's been the culmination of many years of trying to fit all these puzzle pieces together. Absolutely. Um, uh my uh, initial premise was that um, there has to be a model for the universe that would allow all these things to occur. And, of course, the model that, uh, uh, that we have uh, right now, which is what they call the standard model, uh, doesn't incorporate any of these kinds of things. And yet uh, the paranormal effect is real. Uh, people actually experience and observe and measure these things and uh, occasionally even record them. So uh, there has to be a universal model that would allow those kinds of things to take place and would explain some sort of uh, what I call paranormal mechanics that are at work in these events. Well, you do mention at the beginning of the book the idea that there's been this long uh, attempt to piece together a theory of everything, something that's going to encompass science, spirituality, you know, every little bit of what we know to be existence has to tie in in some manner. And I do agree with you in the fact that maybe the paranormal can be the key of finally tying everything together. And, and you think it can certainly bridge the gap between science and spirituality. And that's, that's definitely a, a loaded prospect for sure. Absolutely. Because what's interesting about this is when you really begin to get into the underlying physics uh, that uh, are at work in various types of what we would call anomalous phenomena, uh, certain aspects of uh, physical observations that so far have defied scientific explanation. And then when you take a look at the field of the paranormal, you begin to see how these events are actually illustrating the possible answers behind these, you know, these more mainstream, so to speak, scientific mysteries. 
And uh, it takes a little bit of a different uh, way of approaching it. Uh, traditionally, the, the paranormal field has been looked at in, in a couple different ways, which I think has hindered progress. One of them, for sure, is that the paranormal has been like a catch-all. Uh, anything that's strange or weird or unusual uh, gets piled in this category, uh, like Bigfoot and UFOs and all other kinds of things, and it makes it kind of confusing. Uh, another thing that uh, we encounter often in the paranormal field is what I call spirit-centric thinking. Um, we have all these various different phenomena that occur in the site of a haunting, and those physical observations themselves, it's very difficult to try to find a correlation or a connection with them uh, from one type of event to another. Uh, but when uh, people try to connect them, what they normally do in their minds is connect them in the way of thinking, well, a spirit is doing all of this. And so the spirit becomes the connective tissue, mm -hmm. which connects the apparition with the uh, disembodied voice, with the cold spots, with the mystery footsteps that are heard, and all these other types of things. But if you take the spirit temporarily out of the equation, we find that all these types of events are disjointed and apparently disconnected, uh, that they don't have a, a, a single model by which would uh, explain how all these various effects occur. And so that's what my model's done, is actually come up with uh, a system, what I call paranormal mechanics, which explains how all these things happen. Well, I, I want to take a step back to what you were talking about when you said spirit-centric uh, in, in terms of, you know, the paranormal and ghostly phenomena in particular. And the idea, of course, is, is what your uh, standard paranormal investigation might entail of where you're trying to make the connection of who the spirit might be that's causing this activity. You're trying to connect uh, essentially a deceased person to the activity that's happening. And I, I have noticed over the years that that's become quite a slippery slope because a lot of people who, uh, such as yourself, who are of a religious background, will say that, the demonic or the dark entities of this other realm are easily able to jump in and pretend to be these uh, deceased people. And so there's not – it's not like it's a guarantee that if you're looking in the house of dead Uncle Joe, that it's dead Uncle Joe's spirit that you're interacting with. And with your idea of taking the person away from the phenomena and focusing on the phenomena itself, that's going to be something that – I think if you can get everybody that's in the paranormal to get on board with that, you'll see a lot more of uh, interconnecting tissue amongst them, as you were speaking of. Yes, and as you know, uh, what I've done is kind of stepped back for a moment and said, look, let's try to approach this, let's say like a police force that's investigating the crime scene. And we have a couple different teams that would be at work at this, and one of them would be the criminology unit. The criminology unit takes care of all the considerations of who done it. And so in the traditional way of looking at uh, paranormal hauntings, uh, it's very criminologist-oriented, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but the other team that goes into the uh, field is the forensics examiner. Uh, the forensics is concerned with the physics of the crime scene itself. Um, Good parallel. Let's take a look real quick at poltergeist activity. 
the criminologist is going to be involved with trying to figure out whether it is dead Uncle Joe, like you said, trying to get the living's attention, or if it's demonic, someone, some demon entity is trying to torment the family, or we have one of those instances where there's a adolescent girl in the house, and that might be causing the poltergeist activity. We know that there's uh, some strong associations there. Mm-hmm. But that's all the criminology unit. The forensics examiner is concerned with how pots and pans can move by themselves and fly across the room with no physical cause. And so when you make that separation, you begin to see things that you wouldn't have, it wouldn't have come to mind the otherwise. News, weather, and sports. Hang on, that's, and that's on me. And stimulating talk. AM 1420, WBSM. Matt, if you want to come over my shoulder and correctly set this all up, you can feel free. Or you want me to just shut off the uh, shut off the Enco? That's good. Okay. Sorry. Normally, Matt Costa sits in this chair, but since he was late, I'm uh, I'm actually producing at the same time, and so that's a guaranteed train wreck, Tom. Oh my! There you go. <laughs> that's the uh, the you know a lot of these shows that are out there that I'm, I'm and I see that you've been doing tons of shows. They have the advantage of pre-recording and then producing everything, and we're on broadcast radio, so we kind of got to go on the fly here and. Uh, kind of just deal with things as, as we go along. But getting back to that idea, though, uh, of, of you know, separating out the spirit from it, I almost, I almost take a little bit of issue with that if it's possible to do that because I almost wonder if who the person was has a direct result on the phenomena that takes place. I think that the fact that it is occurring might be related to the person that's causing it to occur or otherwise this phenomena might be everywhere all the time. Yes, and, and there's certainly, uh, when I'm talking about the separation between criminology and forensics, uh, I by no means am indicating in any way that the criminology is not valid and is not important. It's an important part of it. But it's like, for example, give you an idea, uh, most of the, the audience is familiar with the ancient astronaut theory. Mm-hmm. And so we look at the archaeological evidence, and we see all these mysterious types of uh, events and, and incredible construction feats that the ancients did. And so we get into criminology, and we say, well, did uh, humans do this, or did the aliens do this? And that's a valid question. But just determining that the aliens did it doesn't give us any idea in the world how they did it. And so the how part of it is where the forensics comes in, if you follow what I'm saying. I do, and I, and I think that you're right to to distance the who from the how, uh, because that's if you can make it objective instead of subjective, which it's supposed to be. I mean, that's supposed to be the way that we investigate the paranormal. Uh, the problem is we get wrapped up in having the encounters with ourselves, and it's such a profound experience that we can't really take ourselves out of the equation. But I look at it uh, like from a journalist's point of view because that's, that's my day job of you have to take yourself out of the story and kind of just observe and report. And when you're able to do that, you've basically been able to completely reclassify the way that we look at the paranormal because you've been able to separate out a lot of this previous – I don't want to say prejudices, but a lot of this previous belief system uh, that you've actually been able to expand it into, into uh, new categorization. Well, absolutely. And again, the challenge that we've had in the past is that uh, what the paranormal has always lacked was a unifying concept. And what I mean is a concept that unifies 
all the various phenomena that are recorded and experienced at the sites of hauntings. Uh, and so the only thing that was left was the spirit, and that became the unifying framework. But I can give the audience a real good example uh, and uh, as to what, uh, what I'm actually talking about. Let's say for the example the idea that uh, on certain uh, uh, investigations and certain instances, suddenly electromagnetic equipment, uh, electrical equipment begins to malfunction. Cameras malfunction, batteries appear like they go dead, and uh, all those types of things. And the conventional view has always been using that connective tissue of the spirit as the unifying framework. Well, the spirit must be doing this, and it must be draining that energy in order to be trying to physically manifest. But if we step aside for a moment, go to the other side of what's normally called the paranormal, and look at UFOs, we see the exact same phenomena in very close proximity with UFO sightings. People sometimes report the exact same things. Radios stop working, cars go dead, batteries look like they're reading zero, flashlights go out. But in those instances, not a single person would ever imagine that that UFO is draining your Everettis in order to physically manifest. And the reason being is because they don't have a spirit-centric viewpoint. So in the paranormal field, as far as the hauntings, it's that spirit-centric viewpoint that really blinds us to what might be actually happening. All right. Well, if anybody has any questions during the course of the discussion, you can feel free to either call in 1-508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420 for a toll-free line. You can also jump into the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com if you want to share your thoughts that way as well. You can also email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. So tons of ways to get involved in the discussion with our guest, Tom Fusco, the author of Behind the Cosmic Veil. And, uh, Tom, let's let's talk a little bit about this new classification because in some ways I'm reading about it and I'm, I'm, I'm following along with the argument that you're making for changing these categories. Uh, and I understand where it's coming from, but at the same time, maybe it's just the fact that I'm so rooted in the previous system that I find it hard. <laughs> I find it hard to give up what I've known and what I've uh, become accustomed to over the years, which I'm sure is the case, you know, even for yourself of trying to apply this new uh, concept to the old tried and true ideas of the paranormal. Well, for me, it was a little bit easier because I was never entrenched uh, in that, uh, okay. what I would call the traditional or the old school model. Um, I just, uh, in my research, uh, just had a acquired that as another body of information and consideration. So uh, I didn't have any kind of a, uh, um, you know, a period of time where I was actually uh, employing that, that frame of mind in order to, to understand what was going on. But uh, what you're looking at, uh, this is a common thing with any time that, that we have a paradigm shift uh, where we, well, for example, if we looked at uh, in ancient times, uh, the ancients would look up at the sky, and what they saw in the night sky was a firmament. They understood it as some sort of a crystalline sphere in which there were tiny holes punched in it of various sizes, and the sun was kind of still behind it. There was an illuminating source, and it shone through those little holes, and that's what we saw in the night sky. Uh, if you took one of those ancient people 
and imposed on their minds the modern paradigm of what really is out there when we look up, I bet they would might they might immediately pass out for a moment. Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I know that I said you know that uh, a lot of people have become entrenched in uh, the these theories. I, I kind of want to take a step back before we get into how you're able to come up with these new categories and, and kind of just talk a little bit about your own experience with the paranormal because that made me think when you were talking about how you weren't entrenched with it, but I know that you did have some experiences when you were younger that, that got you interested in the topic. Absolutely. And uh, this, uh, I had a few experiences which would be typically called psychic experiences. And I kind of wince when I use that word because we all know what kind of baggage is associated. Sure, yeah. But uh, I'm using it out of convenience. Um, in my teens, in my early 20s, that were so profound that they, they were not anything that you could brush off or ignore, at least any kind of a, a logical, rational, you know, nuts and bolts kind of person like myself. Uh, they just simply couldn't be ignored. And so consequently for me, it became a task of finding out what kind of a model of reality which would allow... Uh, things like psychometry and, and uh, telepathy uh, to exist. And so for me, it was really a, a, a journey of discovery in, uh, from a very scientific uh, uh, foundation, so to speak. And when you were able to uh, have these experiences, I mean, in what way did that drive you to find out more about them? I mean, was it uh, was it a matter of, hey, this happened to me and I, I want to find out why? Or is it more a matter of, gee, this happened to me and I, I kind of want to pretend like it didn't? Oh, not the latter at all. Okay. Um, I was one of those uh, uh, people that, and I am one of those individuals that always needs to know why. It's just one of those, you know, bugs that some people have in their heads. And that's the one I have. I need to know the wherefores and the whys behind things. And so for me, that's what... Um, you know, that was the driving goal. Uh, I knew there has to be an explanation for it. Um, and I know there's many others who've had these kinds of experiences have, that have gone on into other directions. Some of them have really gotten involved in them personally and have, you know, tried to develop their skills and talents in that so that they could be sensitives or psychic mediums. Again, I wince at the use of those words, but... Um, for me, that never occurred, and nothing like that ever uh, entered my mind. It was like, well, hey, what kind of universe allows these things to happen? And from there, I mean, where, what's, the, what's the procedure for yourself to go from having those experiences then to reexamining the concept of the paranormal? I mean, did, were you out there uh, investigating this stuff yourself? Were you kind of just watching from a distance and uh, observing the field and, and how things had progressed? Well, it was certainly an armchair scholar type of a job. <laughs> um, I certainly accepted the experiences of others as valid. Um, I didn't need to actually go out and accumulate my own body of data or a body of evidence. The evidence already existed. In fact, if you, there's a couple places even in the Bible where they mention ghosts, and in the context you could see they're talking about the exact same thing as we would call ghosts in the 21st century. So people have been seeing these things for a very long time. Mm -hmm. There was no need for me to waste any time to, to devote, you know, acquiring more data, so to speak. 
But I understood that one of the fundamental foundations that we I needed to have and we need to have is to give a solid scientific definition to the paranormal. And so, to me, that's a real starting point uh, from where to proceed. And in looking at it uh, and giving it a lot of consideration, uh, I found that what we I could say for certain is that, to me, the paranormal is a physical effect that is observable, that has a direct physical effect and interaction on its environment, its surrounding environment but has no direct physical cause connected to it. Um, and so when we look at it that way, uh, for example, uh, you and I are talking, uh, people can hear our voices uh, because the air molecules are vibrating at a certain frequency to allow those, uh, uh, those voices to come through. Our voices are normal so because connected to the effect of the voice is a direct physical cause, which is a set of vocal cords. But in a disembodied voice, the effect is the same. It is exactly the same in, from a physics point of view as a normal voice, except that there is no physical vocal cords directly connected to the uh, effect as a cause. And so when we look at that, we find in physics that we already have a name for that. It's called non-local causality or non-locality. As one author put it very well, he said it's like getting a black eye in Miami from a punch that's thrown in Cleveland. And so when we begin to look at things that way, we can start getting a handle on it and understand, hey, there's a whole field of, of physics that deals with these very same kinds of effects. And uh, this not only creates a, or, or helps produce a firm foundation, but it also breaks out of the traditional boundaries of the paranormal and begins to cross over into other fields. Well, if we can take a step back to that for a second, uh, we talk about the ability for our vocal cords to produce the sound. What is it within ourselves that allows for uh, our own bodies to make our vocal cords work to make that sound? I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure what... What you're asking? Well, I mean, there's, there's essentially there's that energy within us that is exerted to make the vocal cords work to have that sound be produced. So uh, I would argue that these disembodied voices are just happening with that same energy. It's just it's not being employed into the vocal cords in order to make that sound. I so see what you're there's saying. Still yeah. that same, there's still that same origin point of energy. Yes, and uh, uh, I think the energy got me confused. Uh, it's one of the uh, um, things that, as you know, I talk about in the book, that the idea of spirit energy is a conflict in terms. It's like saying honest politician, um, because energy is physical, and whatever this causes is not physical. But uh, to answer your question uh, in context, I would say yes. Essentially, uh, if we do have a coherent collection of information, which is uh, behaving intelligently, which is essentially what our own consciousnesses are, is a coherent collection of information that behaves in a synchronized and intelligent way, that such an um, extra-physical, uh, coherent 
collection of information, something that exists outside of space-time, would be trying to affect speaking a voice in the same way that we would as physical beings. The only difference is that a physical body or a physical set of vocal cords is not available to that quote-unquote spirit in order to make that voice audible in the physical. There has to be some other kind of mechanism provided it that causes that to happen. And, of course, as you know, that's what my my book reveals. And what's interesting about your new approach and your new categories is how much a lot of this phenomena that we're out there trying to document or that, you know, just different paranormal investigators out there trying to document, how much of it kind of falls into the same category? Yes, and that's, if you stop and think about it, we know from decades and decades, and if you want to go beyond uh, or before paranormal, organized paranormal research and just talk about people's experiences that have been recorded for centuries, we know that there is a strong association with all of these various types of phenomena. And by that I mean, of course, the apparitions, the levitations, the the uh, disembodied voices, the cold spots, the feelings of heaviness, all of these things have always been very closely associated with each other in a given specific haunted location. So there has to be a unifying physical mechanism that allows all these things to occur. And what seemed... uh strange to me in in this era of paranormal investigation is we have so many people that are uh, specializing in one part of it. Uh, You know, you have a lot of people who focus just on the auditory aspect of it, uh, who are EVP researchers. You have a lot of people who, you know, might just be out there trying to document the physical phenomena, people who just want to run video and capture, uh, you know, an apparition on camera. And it seems like basically they're all chasing after what is the same category under this new model. Yes, and, and who can, you know, I think that that kind of specialty is, is you can understand certainly why people would want to go into it because they're trying to find answers. Mm-hmm. The problem is you can capture 100 EVPs or 10,000 EVPs, uh, and in the end, without some sort of a, you know, cosmological framework in, in which to place that information, All you're basically doing is what I call like a professional bass fisherman that goes out and sees how many he can catch and how big they are, and yet in the end, there's no destination. In other words, there's no end of the road to it. So in in your model, then, uh, the the physical apparition or the the actual visual appearance of an apparition, an EVP, um, spirit photography, all these things are related because it's essentially all the the movement of uh, – well, I'll let you explain it. You, 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 pro- you probably can explain it better than I can. All right. Well, uh, if, we, if we take my definition of non-local uh, causality as a solid scientific definition for what we would call the paranormal, and I granted that's by no means universally accepted. I hope someday it will be. Um, we find then that we see these types of phenomena that occur – in, in paranormal, uh, in haunted houses, we see these kinds of phenomena occur in ufology. We see these kinds of phenomena occur in quantum physics. And we also see these kind of phenomena, on a lesser degree, 
uh, occur in, let's say, like astrophysics or standard physics. And so here we have all of these different phenomena that, uh, that work in a non-local causal way. So the problem then becomes, the puzzle then becomes, what enables non-local causality? What enables a physical effect with no physical cause? And so what I came to the understanding of is there, there's a threefold process behind it. Uh, one of them is the understanding that there is a coherent body of information that exists outside of space-time that not only is, a, is uh, from where all the order of the physical universe arises, but much of what the physical universe is and what it does is determined by this body of information. Uh, that's a very, very old concept. It even goes back to Plato's forms. Uh, and the modern iterations of it are like David Bohm's implicate order. Uh, there's another concept about it called configuration space. Uh, if, if one reads the Bible, they could recognize this in the concepts of the wisdom of God or the Word of God. Uh, it's been called the Akashic Records, Universal Mind, Cosmic Consciousness, all different types of names. Uh, but it, it boils down to the same thing. It's a body of information which is above the physical that determines the nature of the physical. So that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it is a way, is that how this would be able to materialize in our physical realm so that we could actually see the effect of that. And the third leg of it is a description of what I call paranormal or supernatural mechanics that allows, that enables that information to broach into physical space and materialize into, some, into a coherent and recognizable effect. And and we have to stress too that when you say materialize, you know we're talking about the ability to perceive it. It's not it's not becoming physical matter. Well, actually, in a sense, what I'm talking about, and this is this is difficult to bring up a good question because what we're dealing with uh, sometimes is semantics and terminology. From a scientific point of view, materialize actually means anything that is rendered materialistically. So, in other words, anything that we can observe and measure in the physical universe is by its very nature material. And so the materialize is literally mean to make material, to make substantial, to make physical. And so, um, uh, let's say in the example of a, uh, like an apparition, let's talk about an apparition. Uh, we actually have a physical effect. Uh, when we think too much about the spirit, we forget about the idea that vision is a result of photons reflecting off of an object and propagating as waves which go into our eyes, and we can physically see something when those waves enter into our eyes. That apparition is presenting a, surf a surface that has an exact physical effect that deflects photons in our eyes. And that's how we can see the shape of the apparition. Now, what's very interesting, when we understand the science of it that way, we can understand 
that the only difference between seeing an apparition and seeing a book fly off of a bookshelf and fly across the room is only one of scale. Because in the book sh- in, in, in the levitation case, we're seeing a large, heavier physical object being deflected. And in the case of an apparition, we're seeing photons being deflected. But the effect is identical. It's the same mechanism. Now, one of the more intriguing parts of, of the discussion in the early part of the book is when you're talking about the idea of spirits being energy. And that's something that you hear a lot uh, as the explanation for why paranormal phenomena can occur because it is just energy. And our basic school of thought now that, that most paranormal investigators would follow is that that apparition that's manifesting is a collection of energy, that that um, book that's flying off the shelf is the exercising of the kinetic energy that that spirit has been able to draw in. And that's why we get cold spots, we get EMF spikes. But your theory actually changes that and basically says that not only is it not energy the way that we think that it is, uh, but that we wouldn't actually be able to measure it if it was such. Exactly. Uh, In other words, what I'm talking about is that when you have a mechanism that can materialize uh, what I call superphysical information, information that lies above the physical. And I use the term superphysical very specifically because science itself uses that prefix super. Anytime it's talking about a superset of something else. So superphysical is a very specific term. But when you have a mechanism that can allow superphysical information to materialize, then you are no longer looking at something that requires energy, so to speak. Energy is physical. This is where we've been hurt in many years in the paranormal field because we have our investigators, we have our sensitives, we have our technicians, but we don't have any physicists to actually understand what's physically going on. Um, Energy is like matter. It's two forms of the same thing. It is physical, it is measurable, and it is dimensional. And so consequently, dimensional physical things cannot exist outside of the dimensional physical realm. And when it does exist in the physical realm, it needs some sort of a structure in order to shape it, generate it, and focus it. For example, a couple weeks ago, I was talking to uh, Paul Eno, uh, and he was telling me about an experience in a haunted house back in the 70s where a very large TV flew off of a table and flew right across the room and smashed him in the leg. He almost broke his leg. And so when we look at something that extreme, we find that there is no energy that is present in that environment that would be high enough to take a TV that heavy and toss it across the room. And even if there were, there is no physical mechanism in which to house it, shape it, and direct it. So that whatever is causing this to occur is not energy. It may be spirit and spiritual, but it's not energetic. Well, I'm going to to turn to my co-host, Matt Moniz, 
to help out a little bit here in this discussion. Now, now Matt Moniz is a scientist by trade, uh, and he's been investigating the paranormal for we're going to start saying close to thirty years now, Moniz, because yeah. we've been on. Actually, we recently, well, uh, this this week, we'll be celebrating our uh, our sixth anniversary on the air. So uh, now you've definitely got to say almost thirty years, Moniz. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> now that's paranormal. I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> no, that's paranormal. But uh, so so Moniz has a long uh, long history of uh, investigating the paranormal, and he has the scientific background. And Moniz, you've probably been able to use a lot of different types of uh, instrumentation that the common paranormal investigator would not have as- access to uh, when trying to do this. What what are your thoughts on on what Tom's saying here? Uh, a lot of it, I, uh, I I'm definitely agreeing with. A couple of things I. Uh, raise an eyebrow to here or there but uh to to be specific your uh assertion that energy isn't implied uh, i find that um in terms of a physics standpoint uh a little hard to swallow and energy can definitely move objects without a physical source to do it i'll give you a perfect example microwaves uh another source that uh, that definitely has mass and will move things ask anybody that's been struck by lightning you know, uh, energy can move things. It doesn't necessarily need a physical source directly at the spot to move it. Okay, well, let's talk about the lightning, for example. What is the physical mechanism that causes electricity to travel that particular path? Uh, usually it's proximity to ground. Uh, you have the transfer of ions going from one spot to another looking for a ground state generally and what they try to do is find one of the uh, shortest routes and if you're happen to be at that spot <laughs> well <laughs> yeah you might be part of that shortest yeah route. So. yeah and i understand that but uh there is a specific reason why the energy would draw the path that it does through the sky and in fact sometimes we see uh, uh flashes of lightning uh, occur more than once where each flash uh, traces almost the identical path from the sky to the ground every time it flashes. The point that I'm trying to make, there is an electromagnetic magnetic structure in the atmosphere which is helping to focus that particular uh, uh, bolt of lightning along the very specific path that it's traveling. And uh, to my knowledge, uh, there is nothing like that that would exist in a haunted uh, room, for it, so to speak, that would actually make a TV travel that path. Well, it requires some sort of force, and force is uh, energy. Energy can be used to move objects. It's all dependent upon how it's drawn and how it's focused. Yes, but all every one of those instances that you mention, the energy has to have a mechanism by which it is generated. And that's what I'm saying is not present in a haunted house. Well, it's and not, you're talking it's about not present in a, in a physical sense that we're able to see it. You're not, who's to say it's not existing in that particular space, not necessarily in a third dimension, but a fourth or fifth dimension? It's still it's still in the same spot. Ah, now you're with me on the same place. Yes. When I talked about dimensional space-time, it's four dimensions. You've just went outside of that, so now you're on my same side. 
Well, that's what I'm saying. It's generating from somewhere outside of dimensional space. Okay, this is where I was getting confused. I thought you were saying it it was coming from nowhere. It's like, no, it has to have a source point. No, according to my, uh, and I know it's not popular because it's not sensational. It's not, it doesn't tantalize the science fantasy. But in my, uh, in my understanding of it, what is dimensional is literally the three spatial and the one temporal. It's space-time. Anything outside of that is not by definition dimensional because it's not measurable. The very root of dimension is measurability. Yes. And so this is the problem with string theory, where they come up with mathematical constructs of 10 dimensions and 26 dimensions, uh, and they and can't do it with real numbers, as you know. Right. But when they get that done, the mystery still remains. How can then d- those dimensions not be expressed within physical space-time to where they're observable? So they try to use the word dimension, and they come up with a scientific quandary or, or conceptual quandary in that what they're describing is not dimensional. And I, I do have to take exception with something that you just said, Tom. And that would be saying that uh, what you're saying is not sensational and not <laughs> not going to kind of cause controversy because I disagree. I think people have become so grounded in the idea of the paranormal being what they've learned from watching the sci-fi channel and the travel channel and, you know, whatever else, bio channel. And they've become so grounded in what they've learned from the TV people that – and I don't mean Carol Ann's TV people, but gotcha. the people on television that they don't they don't have – the ability to kind of look into what you're talking about and to be able to accept that. So I, I think this is actually very sensational in terms of, you know, now we're finding we're, – we're essentially telling people you can't just go based on the science that you learn from TV. You have to use actual real science when you're looking yeah. into this. And what you're saying is really the point that I was trying to get at when I talk about science, you know, sensational and science fantasy – the idea of other dimensions is is very strong from a science fiction point of view because it gives people the concept that there must be some sort of a tangible world like ours elsewhere. Otherwise, they couldn't wrap their head around the story. Mm-hmm. But in truth, dimensionalism is measurability, and all that we know about that can be measured is space-time. Well, we are running out of time here on the first hour of our discussion. And then uh, coming up in the second hour, we'll take a break for the network news. But then when we come back, we can jump right back into the discussion. And some of the things that I want to talk about coming up in the second hour are the connections that we can make between the science and using your model for the paranormal, how it can fit into science, and then how that can connect with spirituality. Because you know, we can, we can debate about the science of paranormal all we want. But eventually we're all just going to get on the same page of agreeing that there is some scientific reasoning why this is happening. It's those other people on the spiritual side of the debate that we <laughs> we just aren't going to be able to convince uh, into following into our side. But I, I do have to say that um, one little small thing that impressed me about your book, Tom, I mean the whole book impressed me, but one small thing in particular that uh, impressed me is for the first time, instead of reading the phrase noted skeptic, James Randi or noted challenger 
of Paranormal Theory, James Randi. You actually put in noted denier, James Randi. And finally, somebody was able to just <laughs> call a spade a spade and basically say, you know, he's not going to buy into anything that you're saying. Have you heard from any of these uh, these so-called skeptics uh, on your book and, and what they think about the theory that you presented? I've heard, I have uh, been aware of some uh, feedback uh, which was very negative on the two extremes. No. And the two extremes are the... You know, the religiously fanatic and the atheistically fanatical. Uh, most people in the middle see that I've done something. Uh, but in those two extremes, they all do the same thing. They will never arg- argue a single point of contention. All they will do is attack the author. Yep, that's true. And out of those two people, I'd say you only have to really be afraid of one group, but you have to be very afraid of that one group. But one of our problems has been, and you know I mention this in the book, that we have allowed these trolls called deniers to masquerade under the title of skeptic. Something, someone who's a skeptic is very different than a denier. But we've allowed these people to hijack that mantle and wear it like a noble crown. And in fact, those people are nothing like that at all. No, they're cynics. To be accurate, they're cynics. Mm-hmm. That's true. All right, well, we are coming up on the news. Uh, Matt Koss, I'm actually going to ask you to come over here and just make sure I have everything set up here correctly. <laughs> uh, but we are coming up on the news break. When we come back on the other side, we will talk more with Tom Fusco about his book, Behind the Cosmic Veil, A New Vision of Reality Merging Science, the Spiritual and the Supernatural. We also invite you to get involved in the discussion, 508 996 you can also jump in the chat room on SpookySouthCoast.com under our Spooky TV link. And uh, you can also check out Tom's website during the break, CosmicVeil.com. That's CosmicVeil.com. And it's linked up right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com as well. So check that out. And when we come back also, we'll tell you a little bit more about Legend Trips. Uh, that's our new venture, which you can like on Facebook and you can follow on Twitter at Legend Trips. And we also, of course, want you to like the program here and follow the program on Twitter as well. So just find us on Facebook, Spooky South Coast, and you can also follow us on Twitter at Spooky SC because, you know, they don't let us put all the letters in there. So those are the ways uh, to follow along with everything that's going on, whether it be the Legend Trips events, whether it be the show itself, guest updates, and all those kind of things. Next week we will be back talking UFOs in wartime with Mac Maloney as well. We're going to be back to our regular 10 o'clock time slot here now for, for the rest of the year until the Red Sox are booting us around. So you want to make sure that you come back each and every Saturday night and come back in just a few minutes when we talk more with our guest Tom Fusco behind the Cosmic Veil. Coming back in just a few minutes here on Spooky South Coast. little disappointed i was really hoping it was easy lover remember when i remember when i put that on my ipod and i said every ipod should come pre-installed with uh, easy lover yeah i think it should too and and part-time lover by steve you wonder as well that's true both of those 
our requirements. All right, welcome back to the show, Spooky South Coast, where we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. And we're going to be joining back up with our guest, Tom Fusco, in just a second to talk about his book, Beyond, I'm sorry, Behind the Cosmic Veil, A New Vision of Reality, Merging Science, the Spiritual, and the Supernatural. And you can check out Tom's site, CosmicVeil.com, which is also linked up on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com. And also, if you go to the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com, you'll see the logo for Legend Trips, which is our new venture. It's Spooky South Coast combined with Ghost Village. It's us, ourselves and Jeff Belanger. And we've been doing these events now for a couple of years. And uh, we've had a great response to them that we've kind of put them all under the umbrella of this company called Legend Trips. And the idea behind that is, well, basically, it's a lot easier to say Legend Trips than it is to say a Spooky South Coast GhostVillage.com production. So Legend Trips is the name of the group. It's the name of the organization. And we also have a website, LegendTrips.com, where you can go and you can see pictures and read reports of previous events. And at the same time, you can learn about our new events and our upcoming events. And you can sign up and get on our mailing list. Now, some people don't know how it works with Legend Trips. Let me tell you, once you go to one of our events, you're part of the family. And what that means is we always have a pre-sale for our next event where you can actually have the opportunity to buy tickets before anybody else can and before we've even announced it to the public. And that's what we've been doing with our events. Now, we did that with our Lizzie Borden Dead of Winter event that's happening February 25th, and it sold out before it even made it to the public on sale. Uh, that's just because you know it's it's – just such a phenomenal place to investigate and to check out and we have another phenomenal place lined up for our next event it's called graveyard shift at slater mill and it's happening saturday april 21st 2012 at the slater mill museum in Pawtucket, rhode island from 6 p.m until 2 a.m now this mill has been in existence for over 200 years in the banks of the blackstone river uh, there's another mill attached to the property now the wilkinson mill and there's also the sylvanus brown house and these three properties will all be part of the Graveyard Shift event for you to get in and investigate these locations with ourselves, the Legend Trip staff, which would be myself, Matt Moniz, Matt Costa, if you can make it. And uh, we'll have uh, Jeff Belanger, of course, will be there, Andrew Lake, who we bring on these uh, ventures with us as well. And our special guests for the evening will be Keith and Carl Johnson, who you've seen on Ghost Hunters, Paranormal State, uh, A Haunting, all these different television programs. Uh, including talking about Slater Mill on the Travel Channel's Most Terrifying Places in America. So we're going to have everybody there that night to help lead you on this investigation of Slater Mill. And if you've been to one of our events before, you know how they work. You get lectures, you get dinner, you get five hours of investigation, and we just lend a guiding hand. We're not running the thing for you. You're actually out there investigating, and we're just there to help out and answer questions and investigate alongside you. Now, tickets for this event are $99.00. Uh, and also, if you're coming from out of town, we have a special thing set up with the Comfort Inn of Pertucket, which is only about a mile away from Slater Mill. You can actually get a special rate of $79 a night if you use the special code that's on the LegendTrips.com website under the event page for Graveyard Shift at Slater Mill. So if you buy a ticket to our event and you want to stay overnight just a mile away from Slater Mill, you can get this special rate of $79 for the night. We're also going to have Spirit Medium tiffany rice and we're going to have psychic medium pam Patalano alongside as well they'll be available for private readings which uh, pretty soon we'll have up on the site you can purchase those at an additional price in advance so what will happen is while we're doing the lectures you'll have your scheduled time to go get a reading 
one-on-one uh, -on -one personal reading with either Pam or Tiffany. And then from there, they'll also be available during the course of the investigation to kind of lend that spirit medium psychic side of things to the investigation. So as we like to say, another tool in the toolbox. You know, we, we bring along some of our own equipment. We encourage you to bring your own. It's your chance to learn from experienced investigators if you've never done this before. And it's also a chance to explore some new theories in the paranormal if you are a seasoned investigator. And we can even bring up some of the things that we're talking about tonight with Tom Fusco in that event as well. So definitely want to check that out. Graveyard Shift at Slater Mill. Tickets are $99. And they are on sale now at legendtrips.com. All right, let's get right back into the discussion, and uh, we will bring back on Tom Fusco. Again, the name of the book is Behind the Cosmic Veil, and his website is CosmicVeil.com. And, Tom, we were talking in the first hour a lot about you know, the idea of having to change our perception of the paranormal, not how we physically, like, literally perceive it, but our, our thoughts and our approach to it based on this new model that you have. Now comes the tricky part, though. Once you can get people on board with what you're trying to say, now you have to be able to merge that into the scientific realm with the quote-unquote you know, scientific establishment. And then the harder part, of course, is bringing it uh, to the religious establishment. Have you been able to discuss this uh, a lot with those in the scientific field? Well, in a very limited basis. And what is, uh, very has been very challenging is that in order to really embrace the model that I'm talking about, uh, it takes a different type of a paradigm, which is what's very uh, difficult. For example, in the previous conversation, uh, uh, Matt mentioned that, yes, energy can directly affect matter like microwaves, that type of thing. And what I was trying to say, okay, but there is... Even the microwaves have a physical structure that generates them, like a microwave oven, or with the electrical force from a bolt of lightning, there is actually physical structure up in the clouds that generate that electrical uh, uh, the bolt that, that comes down to Earth. What we have in paranormal and in the sites of hauntings is that we have these kinds of energetic effects, but with no physical causal mechanism that is detectable or measurable or observable in that particular environment. And so when you start talking about extra-physical or super-physical means by which these kinds of energetic effects could take place in the dimensional physical realm, that's where you run into some paradigm problems. Physics, by its nature, is the ultimate materialistic philosophy. Everything has to have a material explanation. So when you talk about things that are extra material, you get into areas where there's a lot of scientists that just simply reject the, the very thought of that. Mm. Now, let me interject something, for, uh, if I may. Have you been paying any attention to what's been going on with the CERT and Hadron Collider and some of the results that they've been getting? Very much so. So you, are, so you and I are pretty much on the same page. They're getting a lot of interesting results that they were not ex expecting in the subatomic field is the closer that they get to what they're looking to do. Now, this played into something that I was thinking of, that the, the effects come from another 
form of uh, basically, uh, for want of a better term, sub subatomic particles. If that makes any sense to you, it's something beyond even what uh, is currently known now. But we're starting to see. Are yeah, you and of me? course, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, but do you, are you following what I'm talking about? There, we're starting to see that uh, there is definitely something going beyond what what we know now or accept in uh, subatomic particle physics. Yes, and uh, in fact, what we're, you know, what one of the challenges that they're facing, of course, is that ultimately the underlying goal is to make the universe completely self-explanatory. And you understand what I mean by that. Yes, I do. Yeah, and for the audience's sake, that... Uh, what that means is that all the particles, forces, and interactions in the known physical universe are fully self-explanatory by all the particles, forces, and interactions in the known universe uh, so that there can't be anything outside of that that is a causal effect in physical reality. But as you're, you're, you're very, uh, it's very important to point this out, that we have a number of observations that tend to violate that concept. And one of the reasons why they've built this big collider and are working so desperately in certain areas, and I do mean desperately, is because they're trying to find a material explanation for everything. And... Um, uh, do you think it would be a good idea for a second uh, to talk about photon teleport? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Fine by me. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, you know, because Matt's familiar with this stuff, you know, uh, following the science of it. Um, you know, this is the quintessential demonstration of non-local causality. causality. Yes. That where was the first thing I was thinking of when you were talking about that. Absolutely. And they take a photon, and through repeated efforts which uh, uh, goes against what science tries to display to the public, that everything has to be absolutely predictable in order to be scientific. They have to make repeated attempts in order to split a photon in two. And what they get is two smaller photons, which both act like a normal whole photon, except at a lower energy level. And what happens is that when these, this photon is split into two, each of the pair acquires what they call a quantum polarity. And it's not like a magnet, it is a spin. So let's say photon A has an upspin and photon B has a downspin. They counterbalance each other so that they maintain kind of an inner harmony like the original whole photon had. And so this is what we call a correlated pair of photons. Now, what they do, they can, again, by shooting particles at these things, on occasion, get these photons to divide to where the two, the particle A and B, fly away from each other. They separate them, and uh, bear in mind, since they're photons, they're flying at the speed of light. So let's say they're flying in opposite directions at the speed of light, but they're still maintaining the correlation in the pair. Particle A still has an upspin, particle B has a downspin. Now what they do is that they can pass particle A, photon A, through a polarizing field that will reverse its polarity and cause it to go from an upspin to a downspin. Photon B will immediately respond, and when I say immediately, it's instantaneous, and it will reverse its own spin 
in order to maintain the balance of the correlated pair. The spooky thing about this, this is Einstein's spooky action at a distance, is that it doesn't matter whether these photons are divided by five inches or 500 light years. Yep. It will instantly transfer. Now, here's what the problem is. Nothing within the dimensional confines of space-time can travel faster than the speed of light. So if you figure if you have two particles flying away from each other at light speed, and let's say they're 20, you know, let's say they're 10 light years apart from each other, the information about the state of particle A that has just changed its polarity, that information would have to be transferred to particle B at very, very many times multiples of the speed of light for it to happen instantaneously. Or, in other words, we would have to, it would have to travel at infinite velocity, which means that information would have to be in every corner of the universe at the exact same microsecond. And that's physically impossible. Therefore, what we have here is the evidence for not only a body of information that is descriptive of what we're physically observing, a body of information like that that's outside of dimensional space-time, but also a means by which that can be instantaneously transferred back into any dimension, any coordinate in space-time anywhere in the universe. Hmm. Did that make sense, guys? Oh, it does to me, but... But I think, too, part of... I mean, I understand the, the, the desire to have this fit into the physics model of science, too, but... At the same time, you I mean you open the book up talking about the uh, many scientific, scientific, <laughs> many scientific, and many theological uh, arguments that happened with discoveries over time about how they didn't fit into those current models. And I know that we like to think that mankind has definitely put their thumb down on how the universe operates. But I also think that, and I can't help but think that it's entirely possible that this is just another one of those barriers, just another one of those, you know, where we're stuck thinking inside of our current thinking model uh, and that we can't see beyond that because we haven't been shown beyond that yet. And yes, you're the- absolutely right. Now, one of the problems that we have in quantum physics today, and this is what Matt was alluding to, uh, you know, and I was alluding to also, is that in the quantum physicists who are now in command of the field of physics mm-hmm. say that the universe is just simply made that way, that these pieces of information can traverse, you know, uh, at, at a seemingly infinite velocity, velocity just because they can. And that's the end of the sentence for them. Whereas... The relativists who were in command of the field of physics till what, when? The 50s or the 60s? 50s. Yeah, which were the followers of Einstein, didn't believe that. This is why Einstein said quantum physics is impressive, but I don't believe God rolls dice. He didn't buy that answer. What he understood was is that all these things are ultimately predictable and knowable, given enough information and the necessary mathematics to demonstrate it. So, according to Einstein, let's say, given the local state of the universe in our vicinity right now, t- 
today, at this moment, Einstein said that absolutely we can tell what the weather will be like at 2 p.m. in Cleveland seven days from now. And the quantists say no, that that's impossible. And so here's the dichotomy of those two philosophies. And uh, yes, so we have a paradigm type of a situation where it limits us because physics says there's nothing beyond here, and that's just the way it is. And, you know, it's almost the same thing as a religion now. This is the way it is. This is the way God is. This is what you accept. This is what you believe, and that's it. And if you believe anything other than that, you're a heretic. And that's that's definitely an interesting point because you do talk a little bit about it in the book too, and and Matt Moniz has talked about it uh, over the years here on the show, the fact that that scientific establishment is so afraid to have anything that will change their current state of thinking that they dismiss it if it doesn't fit their current state of thinking. Without Uh, even looking. Exactly. But even even beyond that, even worse than that, is those from a theological perspective – those looking at it from a religious point of view who you – when you go into that argument, it doesn't matter what you have for evidence. It doesn't matter what you have. The outcome of that argument is already decided in their mind because of their faith. And yes. way too often I think that those who are true believers are way too closed off in their thinking. And, and you actually represent a different model of that, Tom, because you are a believer. Uh, you, are, you do come from a Christian background, right? That's right. And what my work has done for the first time, and what you're describing, the way I would look at it is this, is that science has its own boxing ring, for example, Mm -hmm. and that's where they have all their contests. And the philosophers and the spiritualists and all of those uh, types of uh, uh, disciplines have their own boxing ring. And so they call the scientists and say, come over here and box in our court. And they say, well, we may and we may not. Mm -hmm. It's up to us. What I've done is broken through that where I can go and take my model into their boxing ring and give them a bloody nose in their own ring by their own rules. You've kind of become like the Vince McMahon to (laughs) to their Don King. But uh, it's, it definitely seems like with, with the – from the religious point of view uh, that it's almost like they have that instantaneous out of saying that no matter what mankind can discover, they say that it was God's will for us to discover that. Or they say that you know it is that way because God made it that way. So they kind of have that, that, uh, that security blanket of being able to make sure that whatever scientific – information comes to light, they can fall under that guy. Science doesn't have the ability to lay back on that uh, because if it doesn't fit their model, then they're screwed. That's right. Uh, this, is why, this is why Einstein talked about the fanatically religious. Now, I'm not talking about spiritual or faithful. I'm talking about the fanatically religious mm-hmm. and the fanatical, the fanatical atheists on the other side of the coin. He said both of those philosophies and those states of mind come from the same place. And he said such creatures cannot hear the music of the spheres. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we throw open the phone lines to any questions that anybody might have. There's a lot of discussion going on in the chat room 
on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. And I'd love to see some of those people in the chat room get involved uh, in the discussion because it's actually flying so fast and furious in there that I can't keep up with the questions that should be asked on the air. So feel free to call in 508-996-0500, if you want to call in and talk with Tom Fusco, the author of Behind the Cosmic Veil. And I think that you're going to find, Tom, too, is is you discuss this with a lot of what you're talking about with the fanatically religious. Uh, they'll almost, without without a doubt in my mind, They'll almost always fall back on, you know, the, the the faith argument is is just too much of a crutch for me, and I don't want to insult anybody who has a, a strong belief, but to me, it's almost like it's too much of a of a explanation for everything. Whereas with this approach, I mean, you've really had to break it down and find that new model and find a new way to tie it in together. I mean, you must be hearing from some of these religious people of saying, well, yes, that's the way that it was all along. And, you know, you're just going to be the the person to bring it in into the uh, into the discussion. It seems it's it, it just seems to me like they're, they're going to agree with you. But it's kind of one of those. Oh, yes, you finally get it type of agreements. Well, it, it actually what it's been is that uh, the vast majority of responses I've gotten. And this has both been from the philosophical and the paranormal and, uh, you know, the religious community, is that they say, my goodness, you finally came up with a model. All these things that I thought inside of me and I kind of instinctively knew, Mm -hmm. but I just couldn't crystallize it and name it, you've given it a face and a name. And and it's been very remarkable. but what I try to stress to people, and you, you know, as you mentioned, I'm of the Christian faith, you know, what I try to tell people is this, look, if you believe in what's in the Bible, you know that God made a universe of order, and he made it in a specific way, so that things would be a certain way. And so when you go to church on Sunday, you drive in an automobile, and that automobile is built on technology and physical principles that are part of that same order in which, with which God created the whole universe. And yet there's nothing about automotive technology that's in the covers of the Bible. Well, one of the arguments that you always hear from some religious people, some, and I'm not going to say any particular faith, but you know, people who are of a very strong spiritual belief, you often hear that the idea of the paranormal flies in the face of God that uh, it actually is against God, and it's against the Bible. And I've, I hear this argument all the time. God, by definition, is paranormal, if you think about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And you actually have a, a whole section of the book where you talk about that not only is this stuff acceptable uh, under God, but it's written about extensively in the Bible. Yes, because, again, uh, religion, and, and I'm going to say Christianity uh, specifically, because that's my particular faith, has been so spirit-centric that in oftentimes uh, they kind of, uh, you can't kind of see past that. For example, one of the uh, metaphors that I use is one of the gun control arguments where it says, you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people. And so my model of the universe is very much like that. In other words, there's a difference between the mechanism 
by which, let's say in the Bible, the story about Aaron and Moses in the court of Pharaoh, there is definitely a mechanism by which a wooden staff was transformed into a serpent. And the very same mechanism and physical principles that the Creator put in the universe was the same thing that made Pharaoh's magician's sticks turn into serpents also. The difference is, is that there was a different motivation for one and the other. But that's a separate consideration than the gun itself, in other words. The gun is the gun is the gun. It's what people use it for. Unfortunately, too often in religion, they take the, the spiritual quality and color the entire physics of everything with the same thing. So the paranormal must be evil. Uh, well, Tom, Tom, let me put it this way. It's not the gun, and it's not the person. It's the bullet that kills, if you really want to talk, put it that way, in both senses. And it's not the gun or the belief of the person. It's not, you know, it's what they use, the bullet, the, the way they express themselves and how yeah. they label the bullet. That's what, that's what kills the idea of the people. Yeah, and that same bullet, let's say, if somebody was, you know, uh, stuck on a rope somewhere where they were going to die if they didn't get off that rope, you could right. take that same bullet and pierce that rope and save that person's life. Each of the individual components aren't necessarily bad. It's all right in their intent and use. That, that's exactly right. Um, I'll tell you what, though. Uh, um, what I want to get into, if we can, is I want to talk somewhat, if we can, about gravity. Sure. It's a heavy... Sorry. All right, because, uh, and Matt, I can't get your last name. I want to say Matt number two or Matt the scientist. Matt Moniz. We, we just call him Moniz. Yeah, Moniz? Yeah, Moniz works. Yeah. All right, Mr. Moniz. Yes, sir. Uh, this is something where I, I, would, I would love you to bear with me on this a little bit and kind of... You know, think about the paradigm that I'm talking about. Okay. Because what you mentioned over at CERN is very interesting. Uh, because one of the things that they're desperate to find is this Higgs boson. Yes. And they call it the God particle. And the reason why is because that would be a key component in eliminating any possibility of God. That the particle itself is what everybody's been calling God. Um, and so gravity is very important, but here's what the problem is with gravity. It has always been the bone that has stuck in science's throat. Uh, when Einstein tried to balance his unified field uh, uh, theory equations, he failed because he couldn't express gravity mathematically through four dimensions. Um, and we know that Theodore Calusa did it by adding a fifth coordinate outside of space-time which is very interesting. But also, when we try to reconcile quantum physics with relativity, we come up with the same barrier, gravity. When we look at the standard model of the universe, capital S, capital M, that physics uses to describe the universe that has the particles and the forces and all of its interactions, funny thing, the one expression that the standard model doesn't have anything for is gravity. So I'll give you an example. This is the elephant that's in the room, folks, and everybody who's listening has heard this before. They were taught in school 
that gravity was the major formative force of the universe. Gravity is what, what formed the galaxies and what formed the stars and what formed the planets and the solar system and all of that. But now here's the funny thing. Here's the elephant in the room. They also taught us on the same breath that gravity is the thing that's generated by galaxies and stars and planets and solar systems. So how did, where did the gravity come from that built the solar systems and the heavenly bodies that generate the gravity that is supposed to have created them before they existed? Uh, they talk, they talk, talk to you about a chicken and an egg. Yeah. yeah. You know, and they sit there with a straight face, and all these students sit there and show, yeah, and they shake their heads, and they don't see the elephant in the room. It's absolutely nonsensical what's being taught. It makes no sense at all. So when we, we've discovered, you know, Matt, in recent decades, that we have close to 90% more gravity that's detectable in the universe than there is visible mass to explain it. Dark matter. Ah, the problem that we're running into today and why physics is so desperate, or I should say this, understand something. There is a difference between the agenda of physics and the agenda of physicists. And it used to be that science was, was ruled by the agenda of physics, and now it's being more and more ruled by the agenda of physicists. And that's what makes for bad science. But, yes, dark matter. And you've heard about it all the time. You hear all these physicists talk about dark matter as if it really exists, as it's a foregone conclusion. The fact is, we don't have a lick of evidence to say that dark matter exists. We have more evidence when we come down the stairs Christmas morning and see Christmas presents under the tree. We have more evidence for the existence of Santa Claus than we do for the existence of dark matter. Well, there was a young college student that actually wound up doing some uh, calculations that came close to pretty much almost solving the, the dark matter theory. I don't know if you read that over the past summer. No. Uh, well, no, it, it would I take too long to get that. into it. Now. Uh, look it up. Uh, dark matter, uh, I want to say uni uh, uh, it was a girl from a university, I think, in the United States. I may be wrong. It may have actually, I think, maybe possibly have even been Israel. But uh, she put a, a heavy dent in it, from what I was, from what I recall reading. I cannot remember the exact location when uh, at the moment. But I mean, let's let's think about it. They're trying to sell us a particle that is so massive. And, Matt, you understand what I mean when I'm talking from a scientific... Oh, yeah, I got you. Massive, from a physics point of view, so massive that it generates 90% of the gravity in the universe and yet is completely invisible, completely undetectable by any means, and yet it's so much more dense and, and, and massive than any other particle out there. That's crazy. But this is reflects the desperation for having to find a material explanation for gravity. But unfortunately, what they're going to need is three different particles just to even begin 
to have a materialistic model of gravity. They're going to have to find that Higgs boson, and they're going to have to find it according to the way that it's described in their models. And they're already out of those giga-electron-volt bandwidths. You already know that. Yes. They're looking for places now where it's highly unlikely it should be. And, in fact, it may need a companion particle in order to make it work like the Higgs boson model if they do find it in these lower uh, uh, electron-volt bandwidths. They also need to find a graviton. People don't realize this is another elephant in the room when we were taught in school that if gravity is a force, it has to be transmitted, it has to be conveyed by a particle that propagates as a wave. And after decades and decades of research, they've never been able to find a graviton. And uh, the third thing they're going to have to find, of course, is dark matter. And even if they find those three, they still can't explain the highly improbable state of order in the universe. So the point that I'm trying to make is this. Here we see a physical effect. They look out in the universe, and they see all this gravitational lensing, which is a physical effect that has a direct physical interaction with its environment, but no direct physical cause connected to it. So what do we have, guys? We have a paranormal phenomena. Gravity itself is paranormal, by my definition. Now, here's the paradigm shift. Okay, if gravity is paranormal, let's, let's, let's take gravity. What about the weak and strong nuclear magnetic forces? Well, it's my understanding that we already know the, the particles that convey that. It's gravity, that fourth force, the thing that's supposed to have gathered everything together for which we have no physical particle. It's definitely the quintessential Einstein spooky action at a distance. Um, there's nothing, folks, there's nothing physical that connects the Earth and the moon. The moon is just orbiting the Earth through gravitational effect, but there's nothing physical connecting anything between the Earth and the moon. There's nothing there. That's weird. That's the elephant in the room. So let's take that and bring it into a haunted house and see what we come up with. One of the things that we would find, of course, always with gravity, is the bending of space. And some of the audience, I'm sure, is familiar with that Einstein demonstrated and it was later proved that the bending of space is always associated with a gravitational field. Now, let's imagine that we have what we would call gravitational lensing that we see out in the universe where there's these great bendings of space that generate gravitational fields but with no adjacent mass. And let's follow Calusa's conclusion, Theodore Calusa, which was the mathematician that balanced Einstein's unified field of theory equations with a fifth coordinate outside of time. Uh, that he said that this was non-local. Gravity, ultimately, he concluded, was not caused by physical mass, local physical mass. Let's bring it inside of a haunted house, and let's say we begin to bend the fabric of space inside a haunted house. The first thing it's going to do is it's going to compress, and it's going to twist the molecules of air that are in direct contact with that bending of that fabric of space. And what that's going to do, of course, you know, Matt, that's going to excite the electrons. Yep. 
and the electrons jump into their higher valences, their higher orbits. Well, what do we have with that? We have an electromagnetic field. And so when people see one of these space-time bubbles, so to speak, open up and they hold out their EMF meters, they see the EMF rising. And I heard uh, John Edwards at Spooky uh, at uh, uh, um, Haunted South, uh, he told me, he says, it's almost so uncanny that you can almost predict by the electromagnetic meter where you're going to have a paranormal effect. So this is one thing we would have. It would generate an electromagnetic field. Now, the second thing that would happen is when the electrons exhaust that excitement and they drop down back into their lower orbits, that's what I meant by valences, those electrons could emit two different things under certain circumstances. And one of them is thermal energy. They can generate heat. And so here we look at thermal images of paranormal uh, apparitions. If you study those images, you'll notice they don't look like the images of living tissue, of living flesh. When you take a thermal image of a living being, you can see these vast contrasts in hot and cold areas. Certain parts of the face are going to be white hot. The tips of the nose will be dark. The clothing will be dark. But when you take a, 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 a look at a thermal image of, an, of a paranormal apparition, you find the heat signature is more or less uniform across the entire surface of the image. That means that that heat signature is being generated at the surface of that apparition, which would be consistent with the model I'm drawing. Now, the other thing that we would find under certain circumstances is that when electrons drop back in their lower valences, sometimes they can emit photons. Fluorescence. All right. So we know that when you pass an electron, electromagnetic field through certain materials under certain conditions and it excites the electrons and the electrons drop back down and emit photons, isn't that an LED? Uh. Yeah. A light-emitting diode. Uh, yeah, it's light-emitting. Uh, the actual process is uh, I use it in chromatography all the time. Uh, I deal in um, analytical chemistry. So we use UV lights, which which will excite electrons in their shells, and they will emit, and it, it's fluorescence, fluorescence. Yeah. I mean, guys, if you're following and connecting the dots, didn't I just describe a luminous orb? Well, yeah, but I mean, I throw out <laughs> luminous orbs myself, more or less. I uh, understand, but it's always thought that these orbs are balls of energy. Mm -hmm. And what I'm saying, if such a thing is so, then these balls don't actually have a mechanism inside of them that stores and generates energy. They are actually bubbles in space-time. Mm-hmm that are creating an electromagnetic effect at their surface. And that's what makes them look like a ball of energy. But now let's take, for example, and again, we have to, this is a paradigm shift, because what we're doing is we're actually drawing a model that we're unfamiliar with. The bending of space without any direct causal adjacent mass. But if we had a bubble of space-time open, or the, uh, the fabric of space-time in a certain place flex very quickly, one of the things that we would expect to find 
at the inside edge of it is a temporary vacuum that would be devoid of material like air molecules, and it would be devoid of thermal energy. Now, if it happens slow enough, the surrounding thermal energy and the surrounding air molecules would fill in that vacuum very gracefully, and we would detect hardly any kind of a difference. But if it happened very quickly, it would be like opening your front door from the inside of your house on a cold winter's day. But suddenly you get an inrush of cold air. And so what we have temporarily until the equilibrium is reestablished with the surrounding area, we have cold spot. And if it would indeed create a vacuum like I'm talking about, now we have our mystery breezes where we feel air movement with no doors or windows open. Another thing that it would cause, and I've heard this said time and time and time again, people going in uh, into sites when they're active, and what they all say, there's a feeling of heaviness in here. And now bear in mind, this isn't so subjective like a lot of feelings are, where ten different people will give you six definitions, six different ways of saying it. It's like 999 out of 1,000 people use the word heavy, and we all know what heavy means. So you have to accept what they're saying is literally true. Well, what does the bending of space cause? Gravitational fields. And so their feelings of heaviness are literal. It is getting heavier there. Now, this is a very radical paradigm shift in the way of looking at things, but it would certainly explain why we see all this gravitational lensing in the universe with no adjacent mass, explain why we can't find a Higgs boson, we can't find a graviton, we can't find dark matter, because they don't exist. It's not necessary to bend space with them. And why gravity seems to be the stumbling block for everything the physics uh, attempts to try to get a unified picture of the universe. So this is not only explains this paranormal phenomena, but also leaps across the, the, the boundary, so to speak, and goes to answer questions, fundamental questions about physics and some of the anomalies that occur in there. And I would bet that instead of measuring quantity of EMF, if we took oscilloscopes in and took a look at the quality of these EMS fields that are being generated, we would find that at certain oscillations, suddenly the electrical equipment in the area begins to get affected. And that's one of the predictions of this theory, that we will find direct correlations with specific wavelengths of electromagnetism and the uh, malfunction of, immediate, of, of electrical equipment in the immediate area. Well, one thing that we only got a few minutes left now, Tom, before the end of the program, but one thing that I do want to talk to you a little bit about is the idea, and this is something that Moniz is also uh, pretty pretty in-depth in his knowledge of, is the idea of UFOs and um, and how your new outlook on the paranormal would apply to the concept of UFOs and if they really are you know, ships from outer space. Well, what I'm going to say is this. I'm going to play the forensics examiner. 
uh, I'm going to let the uh, uh, you know the criminologist determine whether it's a black ops operation or whether it's gray aliens or lizard, reptilian, amphibian, whatever. Um, but what I will say is this: if they are intelligently designed and 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 uh, uh, commanded craft, if you think about it for a moment. What if we were able to understand the effects of gravitational lensing so that we could create it artificially? So we make a bend in space immediately in front of one of these, like, spherical ships. When we push that space-time down, that ship is going to begin to fall into that pocket of space-time. Just like Einstein said, you have a large marble on a rubber surface, you spin a smaller one around it, It'll travel down that depression made by the larger marble and fall into that gravity well. So the UFO begins to fall into the gravity well. Mm -hmm. But now remember, we can manipulate that pocket of space-time. So we begin to move it forward before the ship falls all the way down in the bottom of the gravity well. So it's kind of hovering on the outer edge of that well. And as you project that well forward... It's pushed along with the well like a surfer rides a wave. And you could accelerate that to incredible velocities with no energy generating mechanism in the same way that a TV flies across the room and hits somebody in a haunted house with no physical energy generating mechanism present. All right. Well, we are just about out of time, Tom. We thank you for joining us, and we would definitely like to uh, to you know follow along with more of your works. I'm assuming that uh, once you can get people involved in this model, you'll have some some future volumes coming out as well. Yes, we're at work right now with a nationally recognized organization of paranormal investigators to develop uh, testing equipment and apparatus and experimental controls that are going to demonstrate this model. And when we demonstrate it. Not only are we going to rip the lid off of the paranormal, but we're going to tear the lid off of physics itself. Sounds good. Sounds like a great show. So we'll want to talk to you uh, about that again coming up in the future. But for now, the book is called Behind the Cosmic Veil, A New Vision of Reality, Merging Science, the Spiritual and the Supernatural. His name is Thomas P. Fusco. His website is CosmicVeil.com, where you can pick up the book and find out more. And, and he put some articles up there, so there's always some interesting reading. Thank you so much, Tom, for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. And we will be back next Saturday night to talk about UFOs and wartime with our guest, Mac Maloney. And uh, also, don't forget, during the course of the week, if you want to hear Spooky South Coast, you can always check out the archives on SpookySouthCoast.com. You can download it from iTunes, wherever else podcasts are found. And you can also hear Spooky South Coast while on the go with Stitcher Radio. Stitcher is a free news and talk mobile application. The latest episode is always available for you with no syncing needed and no memory wasted. It's available for your iPhone, your Palm Pre, your Android phone, or your BlackBerry. Just go to Stitcher.com or check out the App Store for the individual mobile phone. And also don't forget, the tickets are on sale for our Legend Trips event, Graveyard Shift at Slater Mill on Saturday, April 21st. The tickets are $99. They're for sale on our website, legendtrips.com. And, of course, it's also linked up right there on the front page of spookysouthcoast.com as well. So now that the holidays are over, now that we're into January, 
We look forward to bringing you plenty of shows nonstop coming up in the weeks ahead. We'll be here every Saturday night at our regular time, just after 10 p.m. Eastern, all the way until midnight, to talk with you about the paranormal. And, uh, of course, we have plenty of great guests lined up uh, as we head into year seven of the program. That's phenomenal. I, most radio shows don't make it past three or four years. And we've made it into year seven because, you know, they kind of just forgot that they gave us a key. So the as long as the higher-ups go to bed early on Saturday night, we can keep bringing you this program. So what do you think? Uh, any any resolutions for the new year? of uh, we, You know, last year we decided that we wanted to get the shows up online more frequently. We've been able to do that now. And uh, so now we can I, – I really want to try to get us closer to, you know, that 10.06 mark right after the news. But, you know, we'll see. I don't know. I think, if anything, Spooky South Coast should try their hardest this year to prevent the end of the world. We're going to do that. And I, I am trying to make sure that on December 21st of 2012, we can be here in the <laughs> studio. No matter what is going on, I want to take over the Definitely. airwaves, and I want to walk people through the end of the world. You know, some people might want to be with their families and, you know, be with be with their loved ones and everything else. No, I want to be here this with the Spooky family. crew. You guys are my family. You're like family. And uh, speaking of which... Neither one of you gave me any Christmas presents. Oh, I have your Festivus gift in the car, Matt Costa. Oh, excellent. It's excellent. the first time we've seen each excellent. other. So. I know. It's so uh, thank you again, Chris, for those. Well, it's, 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 <laughs> it's there and it's waiting for you. And uh, so we'll be back next Saturday night to talk about UFOs and wartime with our guest, Mac Maloney. Just reach us anytime during the week. Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can download all the past episodes online and enjoy the fun that is Spooky South Coast. Tuesday night. Uh, Spirit Connections will be on Spooky TV and also on Wareham TV. Uh, just go to Spooky TV to watch it and to interact on the chat room. Or if you live in Wareham, you can watch it on Channel 30 for Fios and Channel 9 for Comcast, I believe. I don't know. Look who I'm talking to here. Matt hasn't had TV I, in like two years. I know. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> I feel bad. All right. We'll be back felt, next week. Until then, stay spectacular. <laughs>